The Business of Agriculture is brought to you by Land Trust. Have you heard how landowners are increasing profitability by adding recreation to their portfolio of land use? Millions of outdoor recreators seek wide open spaces for bird watching, photography, hunting, fishing, horseback riding, and many other farm and ranch activities. Landowners are partnering with the Recreation Access Network Land Trust. Land Trust is an online platform connecting recreators with landowners for outdoor experiences on their land to increase profitability. Visit landtrust.com/boa as in business of agriculture to learn more. That's landtrust.com/boa. Well, greetings and welcome to another fantastic episode of the Business of Agriculture. Got a fantastic episode for you today with a young agricultural guy joining me to talk about his perspective on ag as a part-time farmer and corporate employee. You know, this has been going on for a long time in agriculture. You know, the guy that doesn't quite have enough of farming operation to support his family, works in town, and then farms a bit on the side. I remember, I'm old enough to remember that there was full-time farmers that bitched about such people. But you know what? This is a reality that happens out here because it's a tremendously capital-intensive industry. So we're going to talk to a guy named Logan Lyon. Logan and I know each other because he was at an event that I spoke at just last week in Iowa. More importantly, he knew me before that because as a college kid, he was in a group called PAS. And I spoke at that organization like a decade or so ago when he was uh, a young guy, really young. He's 31 years old now. He has two children. He's in the insurance business, principally selling crop and farm insurance. And he also farms on the side. He's going to give us his perspective on starting out in ag. He's going to give us perspective on being a corporate guy working in and serving ag. And then what he sees He's also going to give us perspective from being a younger guy looking at the future of this fantastic industry. You know, we need we need eyes and perspective from everybody, uh, especially when they're uh, uh, somebody that's uh, sharp and knows what they're talking about. Logan Lyon, welcome to the business of agriculture. Thanks for having me. Okay, I kind of gave you your bio. Did I miss anything? The company is Lee Agency. They're an insurance agency in Iowa. Uh, Before that, you were an agronomy guy with uh, Land O'Lakes, technically in Winfield, right? Yes, sir. Yep. So uh, Lee Agency is based out of Iowa, but we do have a pretty big widespread here in the Midwest and uh, do a lot of ag insurance, a lot of crop insurance and, and uh, excel pretty well in that space. Let's face it. I'm going to get right to it because my listeners are saying, wait a minute, everybody with some generic ass degree, like in agricultural sales uh, goes and sells stuff like insurance, but a guy that's an actual agronomist. I mean, he actually knows what he's talking about. He understands like everything from porosity to micronutrients to, uh, you know, the subsoil horizon. Why is he, why is he selling insurance with an agronomy degree? Yeah. Uh, life transitions got me back home into the agency world. I, I had no interest in doing insurance. Uh, my, my boss is a good friend of mine. Uh, and he said, Hey, you should come do this. I'm like, no, nah, that seems pretty used car salesman. And, uh, I don't have a whole lot of interest in, in getting in that space. Uh, life events got us closer to home. This insurance opportunity was here and, uh, it's, it's been a really good living that complements my farm life really well. Um, you know, uh, when, when growers are in the combine and the planter, they really don't want to hear from their insurance guys. Uh, that's the time of the year for the fertilizer and seed guys to be bothering them. Uh, so that gives me the opportunity to kind of, kind of take a siesta and go home and, and, uh, take a couple weeks off in the spring, a couple weeks off in the fall. And, uh, I can uh, spend time on my farm operation then. Your farming operation. So, you, you know, you get your corporate job, uh, and, and corporate, I guess it's not quite as corporate as it was with 
Land of Lakes, but you've got your sales job and then you do your farming on the side. This is um, why I like the perspective is there's plenty of people that say, well, yeah, I inherited mom and dad's 160 acres. I'm just going to farm that, you know, just like we always did, because dad also left me a, a you know, couple of tractors and some equipment. That's not really your situation. Tell us about your situation. Yeah, I, I am fortunate in the fact that I, I married well. Um, my wife's family does have a row crop operation um, and uh, and have cattle and swine alongside of it. So they are able to drive a full-time income or a full income off of their farm operation. Uh, but her and I, we have our 200-acre row crop operation uh, separate of theirs or, or, or next to theirs, uh, where my my uh, discount is uh, access to equipment, but they I get charged full rate, Iowa State custom uh, in information for, uh, for harvesting and planting and all that stuff. So, um, the, from the bookwork standpoint, I'm, I'm just very blessed to have the access to the equipment. Uh, but we're, we're really doing it on our own and making our decisions, uh, making our own decisions on that, uh, able to, we, we purchased a little bit of ground we've rented a little bit of ground. Uh, but we, uh, we are, we're able to kind of do this on our own and, and, uh, just have, have nice access to good equipment is kind of the favor or the, the son-in-law discount that I like to, to mention. Sure. Sure. And on a, and spread over the hours, you know, the, the handful of hours that are getting used on your couple hundred acres uh, compared to the rest of the hours, they give you a friend, a friendly shake on that. And it's not probably all that significant for the number of hours they cover. Uh, tell me about the land. You bought part of it. You inherited part of it. Or it came with the wife package. That was her dowry. What do we got here? So, so, so far, all of it's ours. Um, we had a neighbor that uh, was offering high rent in the neighborhood. And I said, Hey, we got to get our start somehow. So let's go ahead and just, just pitch in on this high rent. Uh, and we had that for two years and we ended up purchasing that piece, which was great because I couldn't afford the high rent for terribly long. Uh, so we, we bought a piece and then we had another neighbor that liked what we were doing on that operation just from, uh, or that piece piece of ground from just clean up fence rows and getting trees out. And they said, Hey, we got a little bit more ground over here. Would you like to pick that up? So, so we owned 40 acres and then we, we would rent the other 160. Okay. Uh, buying, buying 40 acres, uh, you, you know, uh, and even that, you know, it's several hundred thousand dollars, uh, you know, young guy, two kids, even that you, uh, you had to go through the USDA or did you go to your local ag bank? How'd that work? Yep. So fortunately, uh, we did qualify for an FSA loan, uh, 100% FSA loan. So I know we've uh, we've discussed before some of the benefits of agriculture, um, and that lending institution uh, very nearby was uh, was fortunate, and and uh, you know they'll give money to people for 40 years. Uh, so we got a nice low interest rate, 40 uh, year loan on that, and uh, and fortunately we agreed on the price about a year ago. Right now. And uh, I didn't get beat up too bad over all the in, in increase in commodity prices where, you know, land is just ridiculous now. So we got a, we got a good buy on it, got a good loan on it and just hope I can pay it off before 40 years. Cause I'll be an old man by then. Uh, yeah, you, you, you know what you go, you go another couple of decades and all of a sudden 70 doesn't seem like it's old. That old. <laughs> uh, okay. Um, you, you, you got that thing going on. Um, what's that like? You know, my dad worked nights as a railroad clerk. Uh, Mom milked cows. And then about three of us, nine kids, uh, did the farm work. And, the, and then he went to, you know, the railroad every uh, late afternoon to go and cover second shift. So I understand the concept entirely. Um, you don't have, you're not a part of the livestock, so you don't have that. So you've got it relatively easy uh, in that it's just the crop uh, business. So you see yourself expanding this. 
that's the goal. Um, I really do enjoy the the day job. Um, you know, it's it's safe, it's good income, it's uh, it's health insurance, it's all of those fringe uh, benefits from a stand from that standpoint to cash. I mean, true, just consistent cash. Um, but you know, I've been pretty transparent that if, uh, if I stumbled across 1500 acres that I could go and, and create a full-time opportunity in that space, uh, I do my best to do so. But I, I think that there's, uh, as we move forward in, in what agriculture has to offer, uh, I think there's lots of opportunity for people to be able to farm a thousand acres, uh, custom it out, you know, let somebody else spend the money on the equipment. Uh, you just make the decisions have a town job that pays the bills. And I think that's where probably success lies mostly for me. Um, you know, if we can find a thousand acres and, uh, and continue to do what we're doing from a, from a town job standpoint, uh, I think I could, I could set my course on that pretty, pretty strategically. Before I hit record, you kind of told me that you have some idea about this and this is, uh, you know, I've, I've got a couple decades on you, so I've kind of got uh, my views from what I've seen, but you're sitting there pretty sharp kid. And you said, I think there's going to be two kinds of farming operations. Tell me about that. Yeah. I think we, we start to lose the middle, you know, on a, on a grand economic standpoint, we talk about the middle class and how that's, that's disappearing. Um, I see it, you know, similarly, but different uh, in the ag space where the, the consistency and the safety net of having an in-town job is just really good for the millennial uh, mindset. Hey, safe income is, is a great thing. Uh, but on the other side of that, I see folks that are really, really invested in the large-scale farm operations that have the time uh, to, to manage employees, run it like a business, uh, where they can, uh, you know, they have a dozen employees and they're covering thousands of thousands of acres. Uh, so I think we start to lose the middle where people appreciate the consistency and the safeness of, a, you know, less than a thousand acre and have an in-town job. And then on the other side of that, you know, have the time and the business uh, mindset to build a large operation and, and not afraid to manage employees and have, have expensive assets. Yeah. You know, uh, I agree. And actually, I think there's going to be a couple of different types of operations. I think there's going to be there's going to be large scale because commodity production has always favored size and scale and growing corn, soybeans, wheat, even apples, oranges, celery. I mean, essentially, we're talking about, uh, you know, it's commodity in general <clears throat> um, size and scale because margins tend to get squeezed always down. You know, that's why there's, you know, only three manufacturers of fertilizer or, you know, name the thing. So I agree with that. There's going to be large scale commercial produce, producers and there's going to be niche. And I mean like um, four acres of organic arugula, whatever that thing should be. But even many of those will be propped up by uh, farms in town or jobs in town. I wrote about it in my book and you remember me saying this, 75% of all farm revenue in the United States farm system is derived by 5% of the farming operations. 75% of ag revenue, farm revenue in the United States of America is derived by 5% of the farming operations. So that's kind of already going. Um, but then there is that thing. Let's face it. Uh, all of our buddies may not like it. You can farm a thousand acres as a part-time job, right? Yep. Uh, and that's really what you're talking about. Yeah, you got to be a little smart. You're going to have to, you know, have some flex time. And, you know, this particular, you know, it's time to run. It's time to run the crops. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm going to try and do this and also be working on my phone in the tractor cab, whatever. But you can do a thousand acres of part time job. 
and you have to shed some of the fun stuff. Yeah, you're not going to be able to own the $400,000 combine that you get to sit in with a big old smile on your face for four four weeks in the fall. Um, but from a financial decision or a financial standpoint, that owning a $400,000 combine doesn't doesn't have to to make bad sense or it doesn't have to make good sense. Um, you know, let somebody else spend the money, maintenance it during the summer months, and you know who likes freezing their knuckles off in a in a cold shop working on stuff all winter long. Uh, leave that for somebody else. Let them charge you a hundred bucks an acre to plant it and harvest it and, and move on. You do not have to worry about anything else. Logan, clearly you need better friends and neighbors. The people I know have heated shops. I mean, there's, sure. no, there's no freezing your nuts. <laughs> uh, uh, I, I grew up a broke dairy boy. So you and I have similar, uh, similar yeah. experiences, not having the right tool for the job. That's exactly right. You know what? I My winter home here in Arizona, I've got a better shop than we had growing up uh, on a dairy farm. So yeah, better tools because I couldn't stand always having to always, always, you know, everything was done on a shoestring. Here's the thing. Um, I agree that that's a viable opportunity. Now, a couple of things about that model. You're not going to get the best price on inputs if you're a 800 acre part-timer you're not going to get as much attention from all of the suppliers you know uh, the supplier says wait a minute i can make spend more attention and time over here with 8000 acre guy why i can't have time to fool around with 200 acre guy who, who has a t- town job there is going to be that you're not going to have as uh, efficient of, uh, of margins probably because of that you don't get as much attention Sure. Well, I, I don't think I'll need to either. Um, you know, you can rely on some of those larger farmers too to be doing the custom work and, hey, just send me a bill for the fertilizer along with yours. There's those opportunities too. But if I don't make that extra 10 or 15 or $20 an acre, that doesn't matter because I, I have a town job that's covering all my family expenses. I have a town job that's covering my insurance and all that stuff. So yeah. uh, I don't think that those, those budget lines have to be so tight as some of those guys whose entire income is derived from the farm operation. Yeah, so you can, you can leave 10 or 15 bucks on the table uh, based on uh, you're getting charged a few more cents for glyphosate and you're getting charged a few more cents for custom application, you know, versus what their cost about all those kinds of things. Uh, I agree with that. I've considered that myself several years ago. Someone said, well, David, you farm your own ground. And I said, well, I couldn't really justify owning machinery for this amount of ground. Um, but in my presentation that you sat in just a couple of weeks ago, I talked about the Uber effect. You were sitting there. What'd you think about my concept about what happens with farm machinery? If you remember what my points are, it's going to get smaller. It's going to get autonomous. And it very likely is going to be not necessarily owned by uh, the operator. Yeah, I think I think there's lots of opportunity for those ideas. I don't know if it works exactly like Uber does, but I I agree um, that the autonomy will, will begin to continue to be a bigger role in production agriculture because good help is harder to find. Uh, I think that today, if you, if you took a couple steps back and looked at John Deere's 400 horsepower autonomous tractor and turned that into a 150 horsepower tractor with a 12 row planner an eight row planner, instead of, you know, a super duper 24 row, 36 row, I think that can hit the field today and be successful. Um, you know, everybody says, well, that'll never work. You can't accommodate for the telephone pole. Well, an eight row planner can go around a telephone pole real easily as opposed to that, you know, 50 foot, 60 foot wide planter uh, that you're trying to incorporate out there. So I, I agree. I don't know what that swarm will look like. You know, they have drones right now that'll spray a whole field. You, you have eight drones sitting on a trailer, go and spray the field. And that, that's autonomy right now that's working. Yeah. And I spoke to two crop 
duster groups, aerial applicators, what they're really called, spoken to two aerial application groups in the last 14 months. And you're not anyway uh, pro- promoting that they're going to lose their job, but you can speak very frankly about the fact that autonomy is coming there because you're putting a guy in this little plane that's the size of a Volkswagen laden with poisonous, <laughs> poisonous stuff and send them out there hundred mile an hour, dodging power lines and trees, you know uh, what about, and they also do it for like $7 an acre, some ungodly low price. I'm like, how can you even justify any of this? So when you say drones are the thing that's, that's going to get replaced sooner than maybe guy on the tractor. Yeah. Uh, but I agree with you. You start talking about equipment getting smaller. Farm people hate that. You know, here next week, they're going to be in Louisville at the National Farm Machinery Show. And the one thing that they just love to go see big, 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 yep. big. I mean, they just really like that. And you say, you realize, like my man Logan here just said, what about an autonomous machine? It's self-contained. It's not even a tractor pulling a planter. It is a machine that the planter just sort of rides on it. And it's only doing six rows at a time. Like, what? No, give him 24 row planters. No, you're going to have four of these in the neighborhood that are just going and they go 24 hours a day because they're all driven by uh, technology from, uh, you know, satellite. I think that's coming. Now, if that indeed is coming, you also don't necessarily own it. You just, you know, it's like you said, it's a fleet, it's a swarm. It's like using the tool, uh, the nitrogen applicator. You know, you don't own that necessarily either from the co-op. It helps a guy like you because now it lowers the capital input for you to be a two, four, six, eight hundred acre farm operation. Sure. Well, and and not only that is uh, when I think of the autonomy, uh, the autonomous equipment. You know, Tesla's been trying this thing out, and you know, as soon as they run over one person, it's the end of the world. But mile for mile, uh, this automation is safer uh, than the human human mind and the human hand. So uh, I think long term, when you think, hey, if I can take my step out of this, if, uh, if there's less uh, human brain, uh, which are controversy or controversial, uh, less human brain, we may get more success out of this. Well, when, when the computer is monitoring so much more for you, I think it can do a better job anyway. So, uh, but for a small farmer, it, for, for your question, you back up and go a six row planner across my field running 24 hours. Um, I only need it for like eight hours and then it can go to the next guy. And if it's not a $400,000 tractor with a $250,000 planner on it, I should be able to get charged less per acre, which is more efficient, more profitable and long-term, you know, much more successful for everyone. Yeah. And I mean, you, you talk about this and it really goes against conventions and convictions that many in our industry have had. And I'm like, a guy like Logan's got, he needs to get 200 acres covered. And now imagine he dials up on his phone and gets this six row autonomous machine that has a planter on. Cause you know what? That same machine might have the planter attachment on it. And again, it's not pulling it. It's just like riding on it. And it also has a spray, uh, you know, it has all these things and you're getting this from XYZ company out of Des Moines, whatever. And you say, Oh, turns out planning conditions are fantastic. It's going to be rolling in here uh, at 6 PM uh, today. So I got to get home from work 6 PM. I won't, I'll be in late tomorrow. Cause it looks like it's going to take from 6 PM until three, the next afternoon to get done, but that machine will be going the entire time. And then yep. it goes to the next place. Um, now you don't have to have cold or warm heated shop. You have to have a very little shop because you don't have to have and house all that equipment. Um, makes it so that the middle, as you said, goes away, but then the smaller operator that has 
business or job and then this thing now is uh, not not losing the competitiveness just because he can't go to Louisville Farm Show and buy $6 million worth of machinery. Yeah, and it's a great opportunity even for those guys that are thinking, hey, I'm, I'm a 600-acre farmer and I need a town job or I need other income. Go buy a $25,000 tractor planter sprayer combo and start renting it out to neighbors. And that's what you're, you you chase the stupid thing around now. So, uh, you know, it, it keeps people involved in agriculture because we have a huge number problem, which I know you've referenced uh, quite a bit in your, in your speeches. We have, a, we have a huge numbers problem for people being involved in agriculture, uh, you know, from, from just driving a semi to uh, advocating for us at the Capitol. Uh, we continue, we need to find people that want to do that stuff. And technology is the the hottest button right now for people to uh, want to explore. So if we can get people excited about agriculture technology, I think we can get more people back in this ag workforce and uh, continue to boost our numbers. Uh, I agree with that. And we're going to pick up on that. I want to take a little break here and tell our listeners about extreme ag, extreme ag, dear friends, if you have not heard me talk about it, or if you have, you haven't checked it out. If you want to up your farming game, or if you are a supplier to ag and you want to know what's going on by some, especially among some of the more progressive minded, business minded, large scale farming operations, there are five uh, founders of extreme ag. It's five farmers from, uh, Iowa, South Dakota, Alabama, Arkansas, and North Carolina. They've won yield contests, but they also are doing some cutting edge stuff in their farming operations. And I am helping them record and document what they're doing through creating their content. So go to Extreme Ag, X-T-R-E-M-E, ag.farm. And there's about 50 episodes already out there. Doesn't cost you one nickel. It's completely free. And you can see what these folks are doing on their operations. Talk about business, talk about family stuff, talk about new product trials and new technology. So go check out extremeag.farm. You'll be happy you did. Uh, Logan Lyon, this other thing you just talked about. One thing when I talk about what I believe happens in autonomy, usually, um, you know, we always we always fear it. I worked in a ceiling tile factory for three summers, putting myself through Purdue. And I remember those poor, uneducated, unskilled people that I worked with on the midnight shift lamenting that um, damn engineers came in here. They're going to they're going to automate this part of the factory. You know, last time I did that, three men lost their jobs. That's true. This is kind of what happens. But we in agriculture kind of need to cheer on autonomy because an automation, because we're now talking about uh, if, if, if my neighbor says, Hey, I need somebody that doesn't have a real job because on Tuesday, we're going to start running. I need somebody that knows how to operate stuff that I can go and do that because I know how to do that stuff. Now let's say I'm not available and we know we have a labor shortage in this country for a lot of reasons. You go and just hand the keys over to that $400,000 tractor to somebody that you just grabbed from a temp agency? Probably not. So the automation autonomy thing really starts to help a lot of folks. And as you said, I also see it maybe being a business opportunity. I buy three as an investor. You and me get together and you say, hey, Damien, you're, you know, you're a little older than me. You've got some people with capital. Um, can we assemble this uh, group here? And we're going to have a company that owns six of these autonomous machines. And then there's going to be hubbed here in this part of Iowa where I am and I'll oversee it. Sure. I see it being a bunch more stuff. It's almost like I think the creating the creation of the car. I mean, I think that there's going to be that much new stuff coming along when this gets going. Your thoughts. Well, and with that smaller stuff, I think that right to repair, which has been a big, uh, big issue or hot button lately, kind of goes away um, because 
we don't get as excited on a software update on a 110 horsepower Kubota pulling an eight row planter that's autonomous as opposed to the, you know, $300,000 four wheel drive that through a code, uh, we don't necessarily care so much. So I think that right to repair kind of goes away so we can have a little bit more hands on a uh, few more people that have willingness to work on it because we don't want to do something wrong on the, you know, half a million dollar combine, but shoot, I can turn a wrench on a 110 horsepower or whatever. Uh, that doesn't worry me at all. So, uh, yeah, I think that there's, there's a tremendous amount of opportunity uh, when we get into, into this, we start removing, I, I know that autonomy kind of makes it sound like more sensors, more issues. Uh, but you know, there's, there's fail safe. There's an option. Like I mentioned earlier, Tesla's killed far fewer people than people have, uh, with their autonomy. And, and I, I just think that there's opportunity there. I think we just can't be too scared of it. And like I mentioned earlier, I work in the insurance space too. So we're going to have more challenges than just getting the thing to drive itself. Um, as soon as it crosses the field boundary one time, uh, what does insurance do? What are those, where do those headaches come to play? Well, I think it'll be a, a good opportunity for the older guard to bitch. And that's the main thing. We always got to make sure that the old guard and ag can go to the coffee shop and bitch. So, you know, it'll be that, that damn old Tom's machine came over on my side of the fence row. Yeah, there's always that. Uh, and and people that uh, since I'm never been the, uh, the, the type that is uh, carrying on about uh, the march of progress. Um, I was out there when I think I was eight or nine, maybe 10 years old. One of the hardest winters we had, I was out there with like an ax chopping ice out of a big water tank for the cattle. It was so cold and the wind chill was so great that I was able to get the hose onto the hydrant, but then the hose just broke, just it snapped like, like, you know, like a potato chip. It was that brittle and blew water all over me. I froze, obviously. Then a few years later, we got automatic waters. You you hit a switch and a heater came on and it made that water work. And you were not there with a hatchet and you were not there getting uh, hoses snapping and breaking on you. So it's kind of the same thing. I don't bitch about automation because I will never forget that day with the hatchet trying to bust open ice on a water tank. And then also uh, the ensuing problems. Um, automation changes everything for possibly even business opportunity. Now, you said the middle goes away, the 2,000-acre operator. You start talking, kind of describing yourself. You might continue to be a buyer, continue to be an operator, uh, 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 and you can farm on the side, uh, smaller scale. And you're not really competing with the big guy down the road. The big guy down the road is going to have his business model. You're going to have your business model. You're not going to buy your inputs quite as inexpensively. You're not going to get as much attention and love from the retailers or even the, the grain processors, whatever. But you can live with all that. <sighs> What about the guy whose business model has always been farm in that uh, small to middle range and then have a wife that's a teacher? That kind of is the business model you're talking about replacing here, Logan, because the farmer with wife as teacher, I think, has been a business model for the last 40 years. Am I right? Yeah, I, it's, it's a great point. And I, I got a buddy of mine who's similar age. His wife has, has a town job and it's basically for health insurance. I mean, uh -huh. that's, that's when we, we joke about every time they, they just had their third child. And I'm like, man, if only health insurance wasn't so expensive, you could, you know, stop paying the babysitter the money she makes in town and, and you know, pay yourself. 
So, but I, I think it's once again, the economy of scale. So as, as you get bigger, um, as, as you need to, I mean, I think people need to make a living, make, make enough money so they can send their kids to Disney world every couple of years. Uh, because, uh, as, as you've mentioned, I'm, I'm fully aware of growing up on a dairy farm. Uh, farming can be not fun really quickly. <laughs> if all you, if all you care about is the farm, um, you know, there's, there's times where it's Sunday afternoon and my father-in-law wants us to go sweep the shop or whatever that is. And it's like, it's Sunday. Let's, why don't we go to church this morning and put something off till this afternoon and, and enjoy what we have here because everyone's worked really hard to have it. So uh, I think that, that, that economy of scale, let's, let's enjoy life a little bit because we have way too much money wrapped up in assets and, and too much money sitting here to not enjoy it a little bit. Uh, uh, and, and you know what, again, you talk about the growing up, uh, we were a labor intensive shoestring, uh, operation. And my brother pointed out once about when I was maybe 16 years old, you know, even if we said we were taking Sunday off and just did the bare minimum, we didn't have hired staff, right? If we just milked, pushed manure, you'd always have to grind at least one batch of feed, put feed in for everything. Uh, check all the, you know, we had cattle at three different facilities that we rented down the road, whatever, at our own place. You just did the bare minimum on Sunday. It was about a six to seven hour day. And that's just calling it the day that you just kind of didn't really do anything extra. So, uh, <laughs> so, so I, I get what you're saying. And anything that would make that easier, I'd be all for it. Um, you, uh, you know, being your age, 31, and being around this for your whole, you know, you, you tended to ag conference when you were a kid, when you were a college kid, that's when you first saw me on stage. Perspectives that you think that you have that somebody that's older and been around, you know, we just talk about where you think ag is going. What else do you think that you might see that other folks don't? Oh, I, I, I think one of the biggest perspectives that's changed so quickly is that power and numbers. And I mean, individuals, uh, you know, going to a farm bureau meeting is tough now because there's four passionate people there and there's 20 people that haven't showed up for four months. And you go, guys, we can't do this on our own. There can't be so few of us trying to accomplish these things. When 20 years ago, Farm Bureau meeting was the social social hour of the month. And you got every farmer there that, you know, you, you had to tell people to go home from the door. So I think, I mean, my biggest perspective right now is that power in numbers, you know, at the, at the federal level, at the ag committee, there's hardly any, anyone on that committee that has firsthand agriculture experience. And uh, those people are going to be legislating on our behalf. So uh, we, I think that's probably the biggest thing where I go, yeah, this, this isn't great. Um, another thing is well, probably, well, we're talking about that. The consolidation issue is what part of this has come about. I mean, you know, I'm a, a youngest of nine kids and there was a farm like mine on every county road. Well, there's now almost none of those farms because, you know, commodity production favors size and scale. You know, families aren't having nine kids. There's all those kinds of things. But there's another part of it. What about our trade groups? You're on the board for Iowa corn, uh, yep. which is good. But, you know, we're going to get to where there's fewer and fewer farmers. So there's going to be fewer and fewer members of those organizations. Those organizations will presumably still exist because they're set through the checkoff program, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, what does the future look like when Iowa Corn Grower Association has 60 members instead of 600 or whatever that number should be? Yeah. So uh, I, I think there will be continued consolidation and, and a, a balanced approach. So, I mean, Iowa corn and Iowa soybean probably agrees with each other 99.9% .9 of the time. 
so is there opportunities for consolidation between those farm bureau you know there we're always going to have similar messages uh so is there opportunity to share that membership you know uh go down the checkbox and say yep i want to be farm bureau iowa corn iowa soybean uh, just go all the way down that. And, and here's my message. So the consolidation is going to continue to be a problem. Uh, I have no interest in being a full-time board member for six different organizations because right. nobody else is willing to volunteer right. uh, and doesn't pay enough. So, uh, <laughs> you know, that's obviously, that's obviously important too, but uh, we're, we're going to continue to have a fight uh, here. And I think that there's going to be some people in my generation or my age group that needs to realize like, Hey, I, I get that I'm not old enough to make decision on my family's operation, but can I earn credibility by going over to an association to earn credibility for myself? So then someday nobody can go, oh, your dad just handed it all to you. Your grandpa handed it all to you. Well, I, I did my work when I was in my 30s to join these associations and, uh, and make sure that I had my, a name for myself. I can go learn things on my own and implement those on our operation someday, my operation. See, I also uh, would say, speaking of the consolidation effect, you're in industry calling on farmers. My brother, when he was still alive, said he was going to put stickers on his cows on the dairy farm like NASCAR. He said the guy pulls in from uh, Elanco. That's the two cows that pay him. The guy pulls in from the feed company. Those are the six cows that pay him. He's like, basically, I've got all these cows out here that are paying for somebody to pull into my farm uh, that they're just. And I said, well, that's that's a, a kind of the truth. I go to farm conferences like the one that you and I just were at two weeks ago. Uh, there's you and a couple other people that are there, uh, you know, and there's less farmers that come to some of these conferences and trade shows because there's less of them, period. That's a reality. Probably not that new to you, but it's something that's more striking to me, having a few decades or a couple decades uh, of experience on you. Yeah, I think I think it's going to be interesting. I think there's there's a lot of salesmen out there, and just same with that ear of corn, uh, the stickers on the cows, ear of corn. Um, some's got to go to the insurance. Some's got to go to Pioneer. There's the Pioneer logo. There's the uh, you know Syngenta logo. All that stuff. So I think you're exactly right. At the conference you attended that I spoke at here a week or two ago in Des Moines, give me your, your takeaways from uh, you heard me, you heard commodities people, you heard Jolene talk about the family uh, legal arrangements. You heard, um, uh, let's see, what else did we hear from? Mr. Whitman. Whitman. Yeah. Your takeaway? Big takeaways from that day. You know, I, Dick Whitman and Jolene had kind of similar stories to treating it like a business and having long-term plans. Uh, and, and I appreciate that having as much business background as I do, um, leisure agriculture background, I guess. Um, I would really appreciate the thought of, Hey, you got to treat it like a business. And if it doesn't work, then don't do it. If it doesn't make money, that's, that's gotta be the goal. You can't be farming for a hobby unless you look in, unless the, the grain part of it's just part of paying off the investment of land. If that's the process, make sure you know that's the process and, and how you understand that. But, you know, and, and it's tough to have more than one boss. I think uh, uh, both Dick and Jolene alluded to that. You know, uh, someone's got to be the last call, whether it's the older brother, the younger brother, the smarter one, whatever that is. Uh, I think that's important. So um, having SOPs and, and consistent messaging uh, as we as we continue to be in a very litigious uh, uh, world, if you hire someone that screws up and wrongful hiring and firing, all of a sudden you're you're getting sued because you hired a crackhead that you couldn't get rid of. Uh, <laughs> yeah. So I I think having those standards of operating procedures is is really important and just. Cr cr treating it like a business. You can't just buy the tractor or the truck because it's shiny. Yeah. It has to make sense. 
And also the family dynamic, because many farms, obviously most are still have the family component. And uh, though they talked a lot about this whole thing. In fact, I laughed. I was sitting next to you for Jolene's pr- pr- program about, uh, oh, your son's going to take over the farm. Does he still live at home? Do you still do his laundry? Does he ever been away? And she went through all these things. I'm like, check, 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 check. I have seen this again and again and again. And you're talking about hand over the reins to a couple million dollars of capital to somebody that still essentially hasn't evolved from when they were 14. <laughs> yeah, Andrew Lee made a great point. You know, it's, it's not necessarily that son or daughter's fault. You know, you enable them to, you know, give, give them a real income. Say, hey, we're not giving you anything but $80,000 a year, $50,000 a yeah, year. Right. You go rent your own house, make your own dinners, do your own laundry. And yeah. when it looks like you can handle an operation this size, then we'll talk. But I'm, I'm still, you know, cleaning the stains out of your underwear. You're, you're not getting this combine. You're not getting this farm ground. So thanks, great thanks, for the, thanks for the visual, Logan. Biggest takeaway from my presentation, just because I want to know if there were any. Yeah, I, I, I made some notes, too, because I thought I thought. <laughs> um, I, I thought you do a good job of pointing out some of the things that aren't obvious, you know, so uh, any more in agriculture and in politics and everything, everybody can have their own facts or their own truth. Uh, but you have to be able to understand what's important to your business, your operation, take those as whether they're your truths or your facts and make sure that long-term they, they add value to what you're doing. Uh, we talk about the population swing. I know you um, you mentioned a lot, the decline in population, what does that mean long-term for your operation here in Iowa? Fortunately, I, th- I don't think it means much because I think the drought spaces and that, as you mentioned, are going to, are going to go away or they're going to, to size down. So I think fortunately we have some advantage here in the Midwest of long-term success in ag, but for those guys that are turning pivots every day of the year, just to raise a crop, I think there's going to have to be changes made on those operations because I don't think they can continue uh, sustainability, whatever that means for everyone. Um, you know, uh, I don't think that that is that's the longest best uh, best results for everyone. Yeah, uh, that, that, that's, a, that's a big one right there. Also, because environmentalism seems like it's 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 ramping up. It's certainly not it's not plateauing nor going away. Yeah, and, and I just looked at my last sentence. I mean, just, just because you don't like it doesn't make it untrue. Uh, you know, we talk about the autonomy. We talk about the the way we've always done it, or, or uh, you know, the the niche market for uh, organic or non-GMO or whatever all that stuff means. But just because you don't like it doesn't mean that's what the consumer doesn't want. That you know, it doesn't matter if I know that. Um, you know, Roundup is relatively safe or, or is safe. It doesn't matter if I know that I'm putting the exact right amount, amount of nitrogen on, on that plant to make it as successful or, or give it every opportunity. Again, just because I know that fact doesn't mean that the consumer isn't going to drive something different. Yeah, that's that's a big one there, isn't it? That, um, you know, we are a consumer business and uh, the coffee shop crowd of yesteryear in, in Aggie land doesn't uh, appreciate that. But we are a consumer business and uh, the consumer has a multitude of choices. And so, uh, you know, you and also the good news is if it's being imposed upon you, well, that can be a tough one to swallow. But if it's some if it's a value added proposition, uh, you know, I, I'd rather make, I'd rather make $10 than $1, uh, you know, to do something extra. So I think there's an opportunity there in that last thoughts from Logan Lyon, 31 year old father of two works, works in town, as we like to say, has a normal job, farms a couple of acres on the side, wants to grow his farming operation, giving his perspective from his age, from where he is and from his professional background, uh, 
talked a lot about what's happening in the future of ag and what it's going to mean. And he says there's going to be, we're going to lose the middle. There's going to be large scale full-time farm operations. There's going to be folks like him that can farm, let's face it, can farm 800,000 acres as a part-time job and still have a normal job. And that's probably where he goes. Last thoughts. Yeah, I think uh, nobody else is going to do it for you. Uh, so you might as well grab yourself by the bootstraps and start doing something. Um, I'm a big, big proponent of creating a legacy that's not just your legacy, uh, but your families and those around you, because uh, I think that's more important because um, once you die, you're dead. But if you can create something for your kids that's meaningful to them, if you can make something meaningful to your community, uh, I think that's probably what's most important. Once you die, you're dead. I'm Doesn't matter you anymore. I thought your generation was supposed to be touchy feely and needed safe spaces. Have you told your age group this? Once you die, you're dead. Get off your ass and do something. I don't know, man. It doesn't sound very safe space, uh, touchy feely to me for you, Mr. Gen Z. Yeah. When I was making my notes, I almost put in safe space because uh, that's the benefits of working in town is you're not just bouncing ideas off of your family members. So you can, you can have other people in your network. And I almost typed up, by the way, I think that's another one. Before we stop recording, while we're still on, I want to point this out. You did something really smart. You just said you can get your in your own bubble. And so this is, I think, the point that you were about to make. Uh, and we're going to close out here with our listeners. You can get in your own bubble really badly. Uh, work from home, quarantines and, and uh, all this lockdowns. And then also you're kind of in an insular industry in agriculture in some ways, especially if you're out there on the farm. You just said you can get really uh, you can get really safe spaced and siloed real fast if you don't force yourself to uh, where you're interacting with others. Absolutely. And like I said, those commodity organizations, there's a lot of ideas in that room that aren't just your hometown coffee shop. So I'm, if there's folks that are my age with this, I think getting involved in other areas, even if there's not time for you to leave operation a couple days a month, uh, I, I strongly disagree. I think uh, you can pave your own path by, by getting out and doing something. I agree. Good advice. His name is Logan Lyon. If anybody wants to look him up, you know what? You can find him at Lyon, L-Y-L. That's two L's. L-L-Y-O-N at Lee, as in Robert E. L-L-Y-O-N at LeeAgencyInc.com. Look him up, especially if you have a question about his insurance business or if you just want to get some more of his perspective. Thanks for being here, Logan. Thank you, sir. Have a great day. Till next time, it's the business of agriculture. This episode of The Business of Agriculture was brought to you by Land Trust. Landowners just like you are increasing profitability by adding recreation to their portfolio of land use. Millions of recreators actively seek wide open spaces for bird watching, photography, hunting, fishing, horseback riding, and many other farm and ranch activities. Owners of farm and ranch properties are partnering with recreation access network Land Trust. Land Trust is an online platform connecting recreators with landowners for outdoor experiences on their land to increase profitability. Visit LandTrust.com BOA, as in Business of Agriculture, to learn more. That's LandTrust.com BOA.